Welcome to the Sabad Radio Show, shining a light on today's innovative leaders in business, technology, and government. Today's show is brought to you by Sabad Business Solutions, where our passion is in the process. And now, here are today's hosts. Good morning and welcome back to Savad Radio. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Charles Davis, the CFO of Savad Business Solutions. Good morning, Charles. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, Todd. Um, things are nice. You know, it's been like a little bit of a cold winter, but uh, hopefully we'll have a nice spring coming forth. Yeah, I've uh, really been enjoying the the cooler weather. I'm a distance runner, and I hate running in the heat, so I've been loving it. Uh, Charles, it's been a couple of weeks since we've had our last conversation around healthcare, and I've been really looking forward to this conversation. We uh, are joined by a really intriguing guest. Say hello to Deborah Gordon. She is the Chief Marketing Officer for Network Health. Welcome to the show, Debbie. How are you? Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you. We are doing great. Thanks for making time to join us. Uh, Debbie, before we really get into it, take a few seconds and just tell us a little bit about you and your background. Sure. Uh, well, I'm born and bred in Massachusetts, so I know something about the cold. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm a fair weather runner, so I don't get out much up here. Um, I head up marketing and business development for a health plan in Massachusetts. I've got two little kids who keep me very busy, and I'm married to a doctor. So at my house, we actually live and breathe health care. Outstanding. Well, tell us about that health plan, Network Health. Absolutely. Network Health, we're a nonprofit health plan. We were founded in 1997. Our focus and our purpose is to serve individuals who are lower income, people who are on subsidized insurance uh, by virtue of their income or their job situation. In 2011, we were acquired by Tufts Health Plan, also a nonprofit health plan, and together we have a million members. Network Health has over 215,000 members. The enterprise as a whole serves about a million people. I should say that Network Health is the number three health plan in America for Medicaid health plans, according to uh, NCQA, which is a national accrediting body for health plans. Well, that's pretty impressive. Uh, I was going to, that kind of leads into my next question. There's a lot of health plans out there, Deborah. What, what, what makes Network Health different? Yeah, there are a lot of health plans and people have a lot of choices to make. Network Health is, as I said, we're the number three health plan in America based on our quality, based on our processes. There, there's a rigorous process to rank those, to rank health plans. And that's based on what customers say and you know how, how well we do at our business. So we're really proud of that. We're also the first health plan in our region and only one of 10 in the United States to earn NCQA's multicultural healthcare distinction, which is a reflection of our commitment to serving a very diverse population. So our membership, one of the things that makes us unique in the health plan space is that we serve an incredibly diverse population, uh, ethnically, racially, linguistically. Uh, we serve people in a really wide range of situations. So for example, I, we once did focus groups with our potential members and we talked to a comic book store owner, a contractor, a recent grad student who was looking for work, uh, we typically serve a lot of moms and kids, caregivers, people who have some kind of disability. So you you name it, and we're serving that population. First, I want to applaud you. Um, like yourself, I'm also married to a doctor, so I, I live and breathe this all day long. But, uh, you know, the, the Medicaid piece really intrigues me. There's been so much 
I don't know, controversy issues uh, with Medicaid and the state level. And, and for y'all to be one of the recognized leaders in the country is phenomenal. With what y'all have done, you know, the obvious question, Massachusetts has led the nation in, the, in, in healthcare plans and what's going on. And, and what you've done in Massachusetts, how can that spread? How can we really take hold of some of the Medicaid issues on the state level and all these states and make it better? 40 underprivileged, which is, you know, the primary market Medicaid serves, that that really makes sense and that the states won't keep bucking the system? It's a good question. I mean, there is a lot of controversy. And from where I sit in Massachusetts, as you mentioned, you know, we've had health care reform since 2006. And Massachusetts is a pretty blue state, but we were led by a Republican governor when we passed health care reform. And so I think, you know, that kind of underscores the point I want to make, which is health care reform worked in Massachusetts because all parties came together. We shared a common goal. We said we've got to kind of end the problem of uninsurance in our state. And we we pretty much have. We're at more than 98 percent coverage, which is pretty good. Uh, but the only way that worked was by everyone coming together. We had hospitals, health plans, business, nonprofits, consumer groups, politicians, legislators, you know, everyone coming together for the greater good. And when you when you sort of put your individual interests aside, you can really achieve great things. And so as as you mentioned, the national reform is largely looks a lot like, the Massachusetts reform. It's largely based on what we did here. And the, you know, the couple really big things that we did here, we expanded Medicaid coverage. So kids up, for example, kids up to 300% of the federal poverty level are now covered by Medicaid. Uh, that's, you know, that's more, that's a more generous benefit than we had had prior. The other really important feature, which is in the, which is in the national reform is the creation of the health insurance exchange. Now we're calling it a marketplace. That's what it is. It's a shopping experience for health insurance. And I'm a business person. I believe in competition. I believe in bringing market forces to healthcare. A lot of people think it can't be done, but I would say we are doing it here and it has been really positive. We've seen a lot of innovation. We've seen prices, you know, stabilize in the individual subsidized insurance. And, you know, it's like we have Expedia or Kayak for health insurance in Massachusetts. That's what's coming to the rest of the country. I think that's pretty exciting. And, and I want to expand on that one second because the exchanges are a big part, especially for small businesses, that that's going to lead in a lot of ways. But I want to go back, and, and it's absolutely intriguing to me. Not only have you been able to do what you've done, but you narrowed in on what is going to be the biggest change, in my opinion, going forward, and that's quality patient care and communication. Mm -hmm. and, and nobody has really been able to – I mean, that's been the issue in healthcare a long time. And now the insurance companies are incenting the providers for quality care, for patient care, and – Looking at y'all and your plan, you've met those requirements and gone well above them and been recognized for that. How did you do it? Mm -hmm. It's such a burning question. When I talk to providers out there, they're like, that is the one that if we're going to start getting incented that way, it causes some more issues in some people's mind, better issues in other people's mind. So I really want to narrow in on that for mm -hmm. a second. Yeah, I mean, I think that the key to serving a low-income population, a diverse population, is frankly 
the key to serving any given segment or population, which is you've got to understand who you're talking to and who you're working with and what their needs are and what their issues are. You know, we do a lot of, we try to get a lot of feedback from our our members. We, you know, monitor our, our calls. We go out into the community. We have a team of community relations representatives who partner with nonprofit organizations, hospitals, health centers, folks who deal with our members day in, day out on a frontline kind of way. And I think in getting to know our members and the, the issues, the challenges they face, uh, the better we are able to serve them. So for example, uh, we know that in our population, we have a lot of folks for whom English is not their first language and that the most common non-English language we see is Spanish. We translate almost everything we put out, every material. We have a whole website in Spanish for members and prospective members. And I think we're unique in our market anyway for going that far. So that's one thing. You've got to meet people where they are. You've got to literally and figuratively speak their language. Deborah, what are some of the challenges that you guys are facing? I mean, I think it's safe to say that the the process by which Massachusetts arrived at reforms in 2006 was a lot less contentious than the debate on the national health reforms has been the last couple of years and, and the uncertainty of where this is still going. Uh, how is that, is that feed into some of the challenges that Network Health has going in 2013 and beyond? Definitely think that we have, we even in Massachusetts, even though we've had healthcare reform in Massachusetts, there are some changes that come even here because of the national legislation. So in broad strokes, some of our programs that we instituted, you know, six years ago or so are going to change. And we need to help people, you know, understand what's happening, what it means for them, and then help them smoothly transition. So I think that will be one of our challenges. And I think that's a common challenge. I think it'll be a little bit easier here in Massachusetts because people have lived with the concepts for much longer. And as you said, we had pretty high public support for what we were doing. Still, one of our big challenges at the time was raising awareness and helping people understand what it meant for them. So I think that public support didn't come automatically. We might have had leanings in that direction, but we really had to educate. And by we, I mean the whole market, the whole healthcare industry had to educate the general population about what we were doing and why and what it meant for individuals. And largely it has been good for people here. And I hope that nationally people can start to understand their, you know, whatever your politics, whatever your leanings are, there are some really good features of the national reform. And if we can sort of focus on what it means for people in the good, maybe we can you know, all have a smoother transition. And let's talk about that. That the, one of the biggest ones, and we've already talked mentioned it, is the health exchanges. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer that you know consumerism and market forces need to be put into the system to drive more, you know, more options for for the consumer for the for the patient. Talk about what you've done or how it works in, in Massachusetts and how you believe it's going to play on a national level. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I wish I'd said it the way you said it. It, I absolutely believe in competition. I believe that, you know, in in this market, we're about to see, you know, the coming of consumerism in a way we never have before with, you know, millions of people buying their own insurance next year. Uh, That's going to give a lot of power to the individual. 
I think what we'll, what we've seen in Massachusetts on the exchange, and what I what I fully expect is translatable, is a lot of innovation in product design, in the shopping experience. You know, there's a lot more transparency in Massachusetts because we. You know, we have insurance plans sitting next to each other on a shelf, you know, a figurative shelf, and that forces competition. We also have seen that our our exchange, it's called The Connector, has, you know, set up some really creative bidding rules for especially for plans, health plans competing for the subsidized market. So, you know, people think we're in this nonprofit subsidized market space. You know, what do we know about competition? But I can't tell you, it's a highly competitive, highly innovative market. And the regulators in this case have really spurred or spawned a lot of that innovation. We have had, you know, I would say dramatic cost management in Massachusetts. And I think that when you have competitors sitting next to each other on a shelf and you have a, a regulator who has an interest in you know both quality and cost managing you know and in, in encouraging improvements in both quality and cost you can see amazing things in Massachusetts the estimates are that we've saved something like 90 million dollars you know just in in the state just from you know some of the bidding rules and and competitive moves that health plans have made to try to be attractive to consumers. It, uh, real quick, I mean, something you said just struck me. Regulators spawning innovation. <laughs> that truly happens. That is a game changer in this country on the healthcare side. So I'm I'm very, very hopeful and I'm I, I want to learn more about that and I'll I'll do it on my own about what's going on in Massachusetts. But that is a game changer. Regulators spawning innovation. Incredible. I think it has happened. Absolutely. I think it has happened here. Well, you've touched on a number of the innovations that Network Health has done. If you, and if you have some additional stories, we'd love to hear it. But talk about technology a bit. Uh, that's a, it's a big subject that we talk about on this show. And, and I have to be honest with you, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm concerned about it, but maybe you can dispel some of that. Uh, I, I worry that with all the technology that's available and the tools that are, that are increasingly available, that I, I worry that that's not going to drip down to the underprivileged market that is uh, that that you serve is that something to be concerned about i think it's a really good concern i'll tell you a story when i first joined network health which was 9 years ago now we had barely a website for members you know that that folks believed and and i did at the time that you know lower income people were just not using the internet they didn't have access we called it the digital divide but i would say that today that is you know, it is just not the case that, you know, our our consumer population is tech savvy, has access, you know, most, so many people have smartphones and use their devices for all kinds of communication and research and, you know, access all kinds of information that way. Uh, but the other thing is that health plans like Network Health are no, not, not shy about technology innovation. So for example, you know, I'll just say that network health maintains an incredibly low administrative ratio. So health plans, economics, we get paid a premium, we pay out most of our premium and medical expense to cover medical expenses, and we we have some left over for the administration of the health plan. And a typical health plan might be might use 10 to 12% of their premium dollars for admin. We we use about 
between six and seven. It's incredibly low. And a big part of the way we're able to do that is through really embracing technology and finding efficiencies through technology. One example is data exchange. So uh, Network Health is the first health plan in Massachusetts to have what we call an e-discharge program. So what that means is we get notified electronically when one of our members leaves the hospital from the either the hospital or the emergency room. And that means we get that information in virtually real time. And what that means is we can then intervene. We can reach out to the member, help them transition safely home or to another level of care and make sure that that the, the factors that might cause them to go back into the hospital, that we can help mitigate those those factors so we can make sure they get the care following that discharge that they need. And, you know, when I say it, I almost think it must sound silly to people that not everyone does that, but it's, it's true. This is an innovation. And we're the first health plan. I'm not saying we're the first Medicaid health plan. We're the first health plan in Massachusetts to have this program. And so there's a lot of technology and innovation that can happen even in a subsidized market. In fact, it's imperative because we have less money to work with. We have to be efficient. We're working with taxpayer dollars. We're working with a low-income community. We have a mission. We have a purpose. It's not about profit. We must find efficiencies, and technology is absolutely key to that. Incredible thought because, I mean, we, we've had this show, and we've talked in the past, Todd, quite a bit about what you're doing with the e-discharge in some ways what EMRs were trying to do, but yet EMRs have broken down so bad that communication mm-hmm. between providers across the street is not happening. Mm-hmm. So e-discharge, I mean, you know, there's so much pressure is the right word, but there's so much attention to patients being discharged and getting back into hospital quickly that should not be happening. That's and, right. And this e-discharge is, sometimes it's the simple innovations that mean the most. And uh, just having... Right. Just having that communication is phenomenal, and 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 I really applaud you. One question I do have is: Do y'all use some that we're at our core is is in healthcare, and we're building some systems around this as analytics, and it's analytics on the provider side, not on the insurance side, where kind of where y'all lie. But do you use analytics in your efficiencies to to track kind of patient care and numbers in the way it looks? Absolutely. We have a whole, we have whole departments for just, you know, analytics. I can't tell you how many things, how many opportunities we've found uh, by using data. And I think it's something that a smaller health plan can do. You know, we, we're not the biggest, we don't have the most money, but we can sure be smart about what we're doing. And so, you know, again, if to quote, I'm not sure who, if uh, necessity is the mother of invention, you know, we're, because we're lean, because we're uh, nimble, we, we have to be nimble, I should say, we absolutely look to data and analysis. So, for example, we can, we, we've identified that, for example, a, a lot of our members have a behavioral health, a mental health issue. And we've identified that if someone has a diagnosis of, men- of a mental health issue uh, or substance abuse, but no, no evidence of treatment, they're much more likely to have medical issues as well. You know, it might be intuitive, but you, you know, part of what we do is we have an integrated model where we're trying to serve 
uh, or coordinate care for the whole person. And when you look at people that way and you look at their data in a holistic way, which is really something that a health plan may be uniquely positioned to do, you can find trends and issues that others may not find because you see the entire experience. And so we then, from those insights, put in place programs to really uh, help integrate and coordinate behavioral health care with primary care or behavioral health care with other kinds of medical care. And we think those are, though, again, it's intuitive, but until you see the numbers, you, you may not realize how how impactful those can be. I'd also love to go back to one other uh, tech, technical innovation. Something you said struck me when you said sometimes it's the simplest ideas that have the most power. This is one that we haven't implemented yet, but we're trying to figure it out. And so I welcome any help to kind of crack this knot. But I, I've come across this group called Open Notes, which you may be familiar with. Uh, they're out of the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center has a group doing this program called Open Notes, and it is incredibly simple. They have exposed the doctor's notes to patients electronically. The fact is today, at least in Massachusetts, we're all entitled to access our notes. We can go to the doctor's office and say, you know, I'd like to see what you've written about me. Uh, but what's remarkable about this is they've actually published, they've done some pilot studies and they've published the doctor's notes uh, through a you know electronic portal and patients report greater satisfaction, greater compliance with their medication and treatment plans, and actually that they would prefer, they would choose a health plan or a provider by the availability of these notes. And doctors report writing better notes. So, you know, I'm trying to figure out how does a health plan expose, you know, more information to the consumer in a way that gives them that power, confidence, information to really take charge of their own care. Gosh, you know, guys, I, I know I sound cynical, but I'm, I'm almost finding myself a little sad that the good works that Network Health is doing in 2013 is still lab is labeled innovative. Because it's, it's, this all seems like common sense stuff, Debbie. Walk me through why, why this kind of innovation, is, why the whole broader market is so slow to adopt it. You know, I, I agree with you. I think some of what, what I'm talking about should be the norm. We all should have our full medical record, you know, on the palm of our hand, right, in this day and age. But I think the fact is that healthcare is a very complex industry with a lot of moving parts. And uh, and I think our thinking is evolving. You know, in, in a generation or two ago, the doctor, you know, uh, we know this because we're married to doctors that some of them still think so, but you know, that the doctor was really the center of the healthcare system. And today more and more, we think the consumer is the, the center, the patient, the individual. And so I think that our system was not designed around the individual. It was designed around the doctor, around the hospital and we're evolving and, and it's not easy to move a big ship. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. And I, I want to echo that. The, the last statement, you're, you're talking about turning a, a aircraft carrier times a billion. <laughs> this is a huge, huge, with many different parts and many, and, and the problem is until now or until we're getting closer, aligned interests are nowhere to be found. Mm -hmm. the, the insurance companies have, you know, everybody has a, a 
different aligned interests. And, and what Debbie's really talking about is having the aligned interest focused on one thing, the patient. Quality, commutative, patient care. If we can get to that, Todd, a lot of the stuff you see and hear about will fall off because all the interests will be aligned on the incentive side for the insurance companies, on the incentive side for the doctors, on the incentive side for the hospitals. Once you start aligning that, you'll see dramatic change. And that's where uh, I believe that's where we're headed. And it's painful because everybody wanted their say and everybody wanted to protect their fiefdom. But in Massachusetts, Debbie said it early, said, look, we had, we had different political parties, but we all worked together at all levels to get this done in Massachusetts. And that's really what's going to have to happen. And, and we're heading down that path, but it's going to be very bumpy for a while. So, you know, I, I just echo those thoughts, Todd, in, in my opinion. I'd also like to see, you know, I think a, a key factor is going to be, do we as individual consumers demand improvements? Do we conceive of ourselves as having a voice and having a say and having market power. And if we kind of think of ourselves that way and and then go to that healthcare market as we do any other, you know, for a smartphone, for clothing, for food, for airline travel, for, you know, just you name it, any kind of market that we buy goods and services in, we have a voice. And we only have a voice because we use our economic power. And I think that's coming in healthcare. It needs to come in healthcare. Absolutely needs to come. It, it, we're we're pretty far away from that today, in, because the consumer is not educated. Got to educate the consumer to understand what's out there and what options they have. I'm a small business guy, and I still get confused on the options I'm looking at our healthcare plans. So there's takes a it's going to take a lot of education. But once you get that in there, the consumerism. And the market forces will change the whole game and head us down a better path. All right, Debbie, we are about out of time, but I got time for one more thing. Uh, you were recently named a 2013 USA Eisenhower Fellow, which is a very impressive. Congratulations on that. Tell us all about that. Thank you, Thank you so much. I'm incredibly honored. Uh, the Eisenhower Fellowships is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that uh, it essentially. Uh, sends leaders, emerging leaders from around the around the world, to uh, you know travel to experience other cultures and gain understanding and perspectives to further their leadership in their given field. And I am going just on these topics that we've been talking about. I'm going to travel to Singapore and Australia in the coming months to really study how those uh, cultures and, and healthcare systems have set themselves up either culturally or systemically to encourage consumer education, empowerment, and power. Yeah, well, congratulations. Debbie, that, that's, yeah, that's real exciting. And what I'd, what I'd love to happen is after you visit a couple of those countries, come back on and talk to us about that. I will do. Absolutely. I, I cannot wait. I think they have a lot of lessons to teach us, and I will be glad to come back. Outstanding. You know, I, I think that, you know, the key here is that, you know, a lot of people think the, the U.S. healthcare system just cannot function like a market. And I think there are examples around the world, not a lot, but there are examples of things that work and pieces we could put in place from a systems perspective that would actually introduce you know, market forces in a new way. And I'm really eager to find out some of those lessons and come back and share what I learn. 
for, we, for the good of the system. Outstanding. Well, we look forward to that, Debbie. I hate to say it, but we're out of time. Before we let you go, how can people get in touch with you and where can they learn more about network health? People can get in touch with me on Twitter at Gordon Deb, G-O-R-D-O-N-D-E-B, or they can find us online, www.network-health.org. Deborah Gordon, Chief Marketing Officer with Network Health. It was great to have you. Thanks so much for stopping by and joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Uh, it was a pleasure. It was ours. All right. Well, that wraps this show, my friends. On behalf of today's guest, Deborah Gordon, my co-host, Charles Davis, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you next week on Savad Radio. Mm-hmm.